Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. God has put a word on my heart that I want to speak to you. When we launched back into the service, uh, the services here, God, God gave me these words, re-engage. And I, I feel it's time for the church, the people, to re-engage, to relaunch, to reawaken. I pray that God brings a new great awakening in the hearts and minds of people. He's done it before in this nation, in fact, in this region. And I believe that if we would look to him, he will look towards us. And I believe God can awaken his people and through his people bring a mighty change. But let it be started in the church that will glorify God, not by our own strength or our own genius or our own wisdom, but by the spirit of God. And today the word that's in my heart that's bubbling up is the word reform. I'm believing that God wants to bring a great reformation. In fact, the greatest revival that that, uh, humanity has ever seen was called the Great Reformation, where it began in the church and then entered the world. I pray that this word begins to resonate in your hearts, in your minds, in your spirit, the word reform. And so, Holy Spirit, as I speak, we give you permission to come and speak as well. Jesus, come and speak to your people in this time God, we honor you, we love you, and we put our hope in you. In Jesus' name, come on, everyone says, amen. We believe that the world has nothing for us, but Jesus is our everything. Jesus is our everything. And I'm believing that God wants to come and bring a mighty change and a mighty reform. But you got to understand, the reforming comes because we were first formed by God. We were first formed, designed created by a holy, a righteous, an eternal, and an omniscient God. He was present in the beginning and in your beginning. Just as he knit the earth together, he knit you together. That God is a designer, and every design uh, every, every design has a purpose. He didn't design the world or you to be purposeless, but he formed you for a reason. And in Genesis chapter 2, we meet this former that formed the world. And the Lord God, the Bible says, formed man from the dust of the ground. So God reached from heaven and he touched earth. It's one of the first actions we see from God is that he reaches his hand from heaven and touches earth. I pray that God reaches from heaven again and touches earth again. Jesus said, when you pray, say, Lord, let it be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus wouldn't have told us to pray that if it wasn't possible. But God has done it once and he will do it again. Let's pray, God, touch earth, touch our cities, touch our region, touch our families, touch our lives, touch our nation, God, because unless you come and reform, we are in trouble. He is the one that first formed. He formed man, the Bible says, from the dust of the ground. You couldn't get anything more lifeless. You couldn't get anything more worthless. Yet when God touches dust, he makes the most valuable thing that the universe has ever seen, human life. Because when God touches things, he transforms their properties. He changes them from nothingness into somethingness, from purposelessness into purposefulness. Why? One touch of God brings formation and reformation. It changes the fundamental elements of who you are. God will touch your soul, and he can change it. He'll change the state of your very heart, the condition of your life, because of who he is from the dust of the ground he formed man and then the bible says and then he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life 
It wasn't good enough, God, to just form it but God, and touch it, but God breathed into it. We see uh, thousands of years later that when Ga- Jesus gathered his disciples, the Bible says that he actually breathed on his disciples and said, receive the Spirit. The same breath that we see in Genesis 2, we see on Jesus over the disciples, but make no mistake, that breath is still moving on the dry bones of the church. That breath is still being breathed. It's called the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will breathe life into his church, and life into his people, and life into dryness. The Holy Spirit will breathe change into a society that desperately needs change, but only into his people. Jesus, God, breathe life into Adam. He'll breathe life into you. He'll breathe life into your family, into your future, into this church, because he's still breathing the presence of God into us. And the Bible says, and man became a living being. It's by the breath of God that you and I come alive. It's by the breath of God that you and I are changed from the inside out. But you know the story that it wasn't until even just a chapter later that sin entered into the equation of humanity. Sin entered into the garden. When there was only two people, sin was present. If there was only two people, and yet that was enough for there to be a collaboration between them, that opened the door for sin. That sin entered, and you know what sin does? It always brings corruption. And its goal is to corrupt the beautiful form that God made. Its goal is to corrupt the communication that God opened between heaven and earth. Sin brings a cutting off. It brings a disconnection. Almost, almost like when there's, there, there should be a, 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 a portal between heaven and earth. Sin comes and he blocks the communication. He cuts off our sustenance from God. And sin makes us now have to live in the flesh. The flesh, not the spirit you got to understand as a Christian, you are called to live in one of two realities, the flesh or the spirit. The flesh is of your own works, of your own things, and of this temporary earth, the dust. But the spirit is the very hand of God, the moving of God, the wisdom of God, the grace of God. Everything comes down to this, sinner, saint, flesh, spirit. Sin wants you to believe that by the flesh you can become something, do something, change something, but it's only by the Spirit of God, not by might, the Bible says, nor by power, the Bible says, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. We as a church, we want to be Spirit-led people, Spirit-filled people. And he's the one that through the Spirit of God will bring reform, because who can reform but the one who first formed? He can bring reform because he formed. Hear me. Here's my point today. The gospel brings reform. The gospel, which is the message and the teaching and the truths and the reality of Jesus. The gospel brings reform. That is the truth that brings change. That is the truth that brings justice. That is the truth that changes the state of humanity to a supernatural We don't need natural. We need supernatural. We need God to intervene. We need to intersect his spirit. Because on our own, we're lost. But with him, we're found. The gospel brings reform. And what is reform? It is the improvement or amendment of what is wrong, what is corrupt, what is unsatisfactory. The gospel for generations has been bringing reform after reform after reform. And I believe the gospel can still bring reform after reform after reform. First in the church, 
first with his people, then through his church to a broken world. So the question is, what is the gospel? If the gospel is what's going to lead us to Jesus, if the gospel is the truths of Jesus, could we break it down? What is the gospel? The gospel is simply this. We are all sinners. Jesus is our Savior. Jesus fills us with the Holy Spirit, and then the Holy Spirit leads his people. The gospel begins here. The fact that we are all sinners. All. Everyone who has ever lived from two to seven billion, we are all sinners. We're all broken. In Romans chapter 3, it says, no one is righteous. No, not even one. The Bible says that all have fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned. All. And have fallen short of the glory of God. In other words, it doesn't matter how hard you reach. It doesn't matter how many towers you build. It doesn't matter how, how, how much your works will help you stretch heavenward. You will always fall short. The gap is too wide. The disparity is too great. The distance is far greater than anything that you could cover in yourself, in your flesh. The Bible says even your righteousness, even your good works are as filthy rags before the Lord. He's so perfect and so holy that even your goodness is like nothingness to him. There is no possible way you could hope your way or work your way or love your way to heaven. It had to be heaven that came to you. It had to be Jesus that would cross that eternal gap. It had to be Jesus that could close the sin separation and become the bridge between God and man. Only Jesus could become the bridge between God and man. And yet he also becomes the bridge between man and man. He also is the way that I can relate and love and feel and understand who you are because Jesus has closed the gap between me and God. Now I can begin to get the qualities of God and the change of God and the communication of God. And now I can begin to understand and love my brother. I no longer have to live under the flesh or the old ways. Now I can come together with you. We become one heart, one soul, one mind, one body, which is the church of Jesus Christ. But we have to start with this fact, this truthful fact that we are not good. We are not. We are not automatically all right. We could not educate our way towards God, learn our way towards God, speak our way towards God, consult our way towards God. The Bible says, for you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Ephesians chapter 2, you were dead in your transgressions and sin. You couldn't get up. Move towards God, you were lifeless. You were hopeless. You were buried. You had no ability within yourself. You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. This world has its own ways, and it always leads to death. When you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit which is now at work in those who are disobedient. In other words, there's still a, rest, a lesser ruler of the air, and he has authority over those who are not under God's authority. That's who we used to live under, a broken kingdom ruled by a prince of darkness. We used to live under the oppressiveness of sin and shame and condemnation and guilt because we lived under a different realm and a different kingdom. But Jesus came to establish a new kingdom in the hearts of mankind. Verse 3 says, all of us lived 
among those, that, those people like that at one time, we gratified the cravings of our flesh. And we followed its desires, its thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. We deserved judgment. We couldn't talk our way out of it. We couldn't argue our way out of it. No. All were sinners. All fell short. All needed Jesus. And Jesus even warns that in the end times, it's going to get even worse for that kingdom, that lesser kingdom, that ungodly kingdom, the, the people of the flesh. It's going to get worse. He says the end times are going to be like the days of Noah. Because see, history always repeats itself. The end times are going to be like the days of Noah. In the days of Noah, people were so unconcerned with God, so consumed with themselves. They were, they were so anti-God that when God looked out for a righteous person in all the earth, he only found one dude. And he was Noah. And so God came to him and he said, okay, now here's what I want you to do. I want you to build an ark, a physical vehicle that when judgment comes, you might enter into it. And when the rains come and the storm comes, you will be lifted out of wrath into salvation. Jesus is the true and better Noah. The ark of Noah is the cross, is the church of Jesus Christ. It's imperfect, but when the rain comes, if you have entered by the door of Jesus into the ark of Jesus, we will be lifted from this temporary earth, lifted from this dust, lifted from wrath and into heavenly places, eternal places, not by our own work, but by what Jesus did on the cross of Jesus Christ. He said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all mankind unto myself. Paul speaks to Timothy and he says, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, he says, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. I believe we're living in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves. He begins to give us the qualities of what people will look like in the last days. And the first quality he gives us is people will be utterly consumed with themselves. We're seeing that. We've seen it for generations. I feel like our social media, our Instagram is a personification of the humanistic ideal how we look and how we act and what we have. And of course, it's all filtered and fake because we love ourselves. We would never show the real. We'd never show the shame or the condemnation or the brokenness. We're gonna show the parts that we love and we want you to love. And if we're not careful, we can worship not just others or things. We can worship self. It's a dangerous thing to lift ourselves up in the place of God. Our idol might not be made out of wood and straw, but it might be living, breathing, and living in your own house. In the end, people will be lovers of themselves. They'll want to hear themselves think and, and, and themselves talk and themselves pontificate instead of the truths of Jesus Christ. He says they'll be lovers of money, obsessed, filled with greed, following the lesser God, looking to capitalism to be their Christ. They will become boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents. They will mock wisdom. They'll mock wisdom. It's amazing in all of these things that he throws in there disobedient to their parents. It's like, what are we, five? He throws that in there, don't disobey mom and dad. But see, what, what Paul was saying is you never grow out of honoring those that have gone before you, especially those that have seen history repeat itself, those that have gone through trials and troubles and tribulations, those that have had to pass through some difficult circumstances and have had to fight the good fight and are closer to finishing the race than us. Paul's saying, don't be dismissive of them. Don't just call them boomers and walk away. They have wisdom you could never have, gained by experience that you have not gained. And they have words that can help you walk much better paths. 
and they can empathize, and they can love, but they can direct, and they can have wisdom. The enemy would love for you to become dismissive of a whole group of people, people certainly that can let you become informed of the schemes of the enemy. Because by the way, it's the same enemy. We're not, we're not fighting a different enemy than our parents or, or grandparents, fathers and forefathers. We're not fighting it. It's the same enemy. And he's got the same schemes. And he keeps using them because they work and they work and they work and they work. But if we had some wisdom in our lives that could tell us, here's the way, walk in it. And if we could be obedient, but this takes humility, I'm telling you. See, that's why the enemy hates our families. He wants to tear apart families because families create legacy. And out of legacy, there is blessing. Don't forget, God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He blesses through generations. And that's why the enemy loves divorce, but God hates divorce. Because divorce wants to come in as a demonic spirit, and it wants to divide and divide and divide. And listen, if you've gone through that, there can be absolute healing. But now God has brought you with someone. So fight for that thing, because you're fighting for your legacy. You're fighting for your children. You're fighting for your grandchildren. You're fighting for their health, their mental health, their physical health, their financial health, the path that they're going forward. They go through you. And so... So Paul says to Timothy, be careful of people that walk away from those that can help them go in the right direction. Mocking wisdom. He says they become ungrateful, entitled, feeling like I deserve this because I am. They become unholy. They follow different gods, lesser gods. He says these people in the end times, they'll be without love. They'll be without love. The Bible says in the end times, the love of many will grow cold. Filled with bitterness, anger. This is where racism and prejudice comes in. It comes in from the God of this world, not from the God of the universe. It comes in from a dark and demonic spirit that you cannot live under without becoming oppressed and angry and getting that spirit on you. And pretty soon you become without love for anyone. But the Bible says to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And the Bible even goes further to say if you say that you love God, but you hate a brother who you can see, then certainly you do not love God who you can't see. Why? Because God is saying, I'm found in your brother and in your sister. He goes on and says those in the end times that are under sin will be unforgiving. They're going to bring back the law. If you mess up, if you screw up, if you say the wrong thing, if you go the wrong way, there's no room for growth, change. There's no room for mercy. Under the world, there's only death and destruction. There's only rules and regulations. And when Jesus showed up, he set us free from the rules and regulations, and he brought us out of the era of law and into grace. So make no mistake, we are not going to willingly go back to the place Jesus saved us out of. Having begun in the spirit, are you now going to be perfected by the flesh? Because you weren't the first time. All that it created was Pharisees. And don't forget what the Pharisees were. They were religious political leaders, the worst of both worlds combined into one. And when Jesus showed up, he says, I don't even recognize you. You don't represent me to the people. And who hated him? All the religious leaders. Who loved him? All the people. People that said, we need help. We need you. We need you, Jesus. I don't want to go back to an unforgiving place. I want to make room for you to grow, improve, change, because the Holy Spirit's made room for me. How could I not make room for you? It says in the end, people will be slanderous, mistruths, half-truths, no covering, exposing people's weaknesses, faults, and sins. They'll be without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, 
They're going to call good evil and evil good, light darkness and darkness light. They'll be treacherous, rash, conceited, and lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. What he's saying is we are going to become earth-centric. We're going to become world, we're going to have a worldly worldview where the temporary becomes everything. But we are not called to be, to be pursuers of temporary pleasure. We are called to live heaven downward. That if the whole earth passed away, my, my purpose, my circumstance, my end result is not here. It's there. So let me live from there downward. He says all these people will have a form of godliness, but denying its power. Think about it. You would think he's talking about the worst of the worst of the worst, this whole list. But he says, no, no. And in the end, all these people that have all this junk, on top of that, they'll have a little bit of religion on them, a little bit of Sunday service on them. They'll have a form of godliness, but deny the power. Well, where does the power come from? From the Holy Spirit. So they will have good, but not God. They will have church, but not Holy Spirit. They will have a form. Of, they'll have the look. They'll be in the church. They'll have the presentation, but they don't have the power. But it's only by the power of God and the Spirit of God that anything actually changes. I pray we don't have a church that looks good. I pray we have a church that's filled with God. I don't want to deny the power. I don't want to just be a Christian moralist, a good person. I want to be a God-saved person. And he says, listen, have nothing to do with such people. In another verse, he says, come out from among them and be separate from such people. He's saying that there needs to be a separation, a tangible, physical, real separation between those that follow the Holy Spirit from those that only have a form of a dead religion, a pharisaical pursuit of Christ. Don't be like them. This is the gospel, that we were like that, but we have to acknowledge our sin. That's the first step. And you come before a mighty Savior, that you come before a mighty Savior. Paul says in Romans, what a wretched man I am. This is the first step. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Who will rescue me? Who delivers me? Who can come for me? Who can help me? The first step is acknowledging I'm a wretched person. You might think, well, I'm good. I try. I say nice things. I try and help. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm all right. No, no. You got to come to the place and say, I've tried it my way. I need amazing grace to save a wretch like me. I was lost, but I need to be found. I was blind, but God set me free. Paul, the apostle Paul, says, who could save me? Who will rescue me from this body that's subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's only because of Jesus that we can be saved eternally. The gospel is, we are sinners. But the next point is, Jesus is our Savior. He is the perfect, spotless, holy, righteous Lamb of God. Jesus is more than a teacher. He's more than a moralist. He's more than a great philosopher. He's more than the ideal of good. He's more than that. He doesn't give us rooms to dismiss him like that. Jesus was fully God, and he was fully man. And he purposefully left paradise so that he could come into brokenness, that one day brokenness could enter into paradise. When he was hanging on the cross, there were two people beside him. In that moment, one person, he says, today 
you'll be with me in paradise. You don't have to go through a process. There's no purgatory. There's no wait list. When you die, you can be with me instantly in paradise. Yet the other person mocked and laughed and joined in with all the scoffers. Can you think of it? Here he is. You don't have a greater opportunity to, sit, to, to be rescued by Jesus than being crucified next to him. You couldn't get closer. You couldn't be in more need of salvation. And yet you could still miss it. I want to acknowledge I am the thief on the cross. I have been a, a criminal. I have been a wretch. But Jesus has hung next to me. And he has hung for me. And his promise is today I can rescue you. That's our hope. That's our glory. That's our message. The gospel is that Jesus is a holy and mighty Savior. In Romans 5, it says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners. See, now, when you fast forward the tape, you could kind of understand how God would die for you. Now that, now that you, you kind of put yourself together and you become kind of good and moral and, and you, you know, you're saying, you know, I'm trying, I'm working on it, I'm, I'm attempting, I'm, I'm moving in the right direction. You know, God's leading me. Now you can see that God would die for you, but God says, no, I died for you when you were unrecognizable. I died for you when you were still in the pit. I died for you when you were a long way off. I died for you when you were amongst the pigs. That's when I said, you're my son. You're my daughter. I love you and you're worthy of my life. While we were yet sinners, a long way off, covered in our own filth and sin, that's when God looked on us and cherished us, loved us. Remember when the prodigal ran to his father? Still covered in the pigsty? What's the first thing the father did? But embrace them. He didn't say, get now, now son, go get washed off first. Go get cleansed. Come on, get a proper appearance. Come on, what's wrong with you? Where have you been? That's not our father. Our father saw him a long way off. He ran to him, and he threw his arms around him. Certainly he cleaned him up. Certainly he gave him a new robe. Certainly he reestablished his authority with the ring on his finger, but all that came after when we were still sinners. Christ died for us. Ephesians 2 says, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. Grace, not by your works, not by your energy, not by all that you think you've accomplished. By grace, what is grace? But unmerited favor unmerited. You couldn't work. The only thing you could do is receive. See, the stance of a Christian has to always be this. I receive. I receive your grace. I receive your mercy. I know I don't deserve, nor could I ever. Hear me. The kingdom of God is not a meritocracy. You cannot merit your way further. You cannot climb a ladder. Remember when Jacob had the dream. There was a ladder, and angels were ascending and descending, and he looked at the top of the ladder. There was Jesus. He's the one that came down the ladder, and he's the one that lifts you up the ladder. But you could never get there on your own. It had to be Jesus. And even in your unconscious state, that's when he shows up. And he says, I'm here to rescue you by my grace, by my mercy, by my goodness. 
you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. It's the gift. Freely given. Undeserved. Not by works so that no one can boast. Come on, you know you didn't do this. When you walk into your home and you're blessed, make sure you acknowledge, I didn't do this. You might say, no, I hustled. Uh -uh Uh-uh-uh. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You didn't do this. When you see your children, you got to know, I didn't do this. God gave me these gifts. When God brings a a, a spouse alongside you, you know you couldn't have gotten that person on your own. Have you seen you? You didn't do this. But God foreordained you. He foreknew you. He forecreated you. And to, to unite you, it's all God's goodness. And even in the evil, even in the trying times, even in the difficulties, understand that God has done all this good. I don't know how he'll turn this, but I know he'll turn this. And even if he doesn't, he's still good. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, throw us in the fiery furnace and God will rescue us. But even if he doesn't, we still won't bow. We still won't bow. Why? Because he's good whether he shows up for me in the way I think he's going to show up for me. He's good all by himself. It's who he is. It's who he is. This is the gift of God. Not by work so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork. Remember, we're formed by him, created by him. The Bible says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Fearfully and wonderfully made. The Bible says in Psalms that you knit me together in my mother's womb. That before I lived a day, you purposed me and you wrote out my story. That God, when he was making you, was also making a life for you. He has purposed you. Hear me, you're an image bearer of God. You're an image bearer. That's what he formed. The Bible says, let us make man in our image. You look like God. That's why the enemy hates you. That's why he hates you. Because when he looks at you, he sees a reflection of the one that has already defeated him. So he's going to try and defeat you because he knows he can't defeat him. But I know that I got the spirit of God on me. You got the spirit of God on you. And he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete the task. Can you say amen? I'm telling you, God has unbelievable things purposed for you before you ever were even born. And hear me, I think the enemy might want to come and say, um, the enemy might want to come to you and say, you're not valuable, you're less. The enemy might want to even come to you and say, if you weren't here, what difference would it make? And I want to tell you, God, God has already answered that accusation of the enemy because you are here. And therefore, it does make a difference. God has never, ever once created something purposeless. He has created you, therefore you have a purpose. And the enemy wants to attack that, but do not get, give him a greater say than a mighty God. And, and I say that to say, make sure you get that right in your mind. Just because you haven't discovered yet your purpose does not mean you are purposeless. Just because you're going through a difficult valley doesn't mean that there's not a mountaintop on the other side. Just because you're going through things that you've never gone through before doesn't mean that God has left you or abandoned you. He still walks with you, carries you, loves you, and has purposed you according to his righteous plan. For God created, for you were created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God has prepared in advance for you to do. The gospel is that we're all sinners. Jesus is the Savior. That Jesus saves you, turns you from sinner into saint, and then what does he do? Jesus fills you with the Holy Spirit. 
with the Holy Spirit. When Jesus was gathering his disciples before he was going to ascend into heaven, he says to them, but very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. It's for your good that I'm going away. I mean, that must have been difficult for the disciples to hear. There's no way, Jesus. It's better for us that you go. No way. Can you imagine if Jesus came here on Sunday and he preached a sermon and then said, now it's going to be better that I go next Sunday. It'll be better that I don't show up. We would all say that can't possibly be true. Yet Jesus is the embodiment of truth. He wasn't speaking a mistruth. He wasn't joking and he wasn't lying. He was telling a truth. He's saying it is better for you that I go away. Because unless I go away, the advocate, which is the Holy Spirit, unless I go away, the Holy Spirit will not come for you. The Holy Spirit has 32 different names in the Bible for the Holy Spirit. One of them is that he is your advocate. He is for you. But if I go away, Jesus says, I will send him to you. And then he goes on to say, and I have much more to say to you, more than you can even bear right now. In other words, Jesus has more revelation for his people. But he says, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will guide you into all truth. Hear me, the Holy Spirit is not a lesser part of God. He is fully God just as Jesus is God. We worship the Holy Spirit as God. That's what the Trinity is. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now listen, you, it might be a little bit difficult for you to understand the Trinity, but look at yourself. You have a body, you have a mind, and you have a soul. All three are you, and yet they're different. That's what God is showing. He's God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is as much God as Jesus is God. Now the Holy Spirit has been active in all of creation. The Bible says when the earth was formless and void uh, and, and darkness was on the face of the deep, the Spirit of God was present. He was moving on the face of the waters. The Spirit of God was on Jesus and on his disciples. And the Spirit of God is active and moving on us today. The breath of God is still being breathed on us. The breath of God is still being brought into our minds. Come on, the breath of God is still in his church, still in this nation. God's not done speaking and moving and breathing into his people dry bones. Prophesy to the dry bones. Let the winds come from the north, the south, the east, to the west. Come into the dry bones that a mighty army might rise up. I pray that the church is not a church or a people filled with fear, with nervousness and dryness and death. May we not gather but not act. May we not gather but not be. I pray that the Holy Spirit reignites the passion of the church of Jesus Christ, not to false ideologies or emotionalism, but that we hold the gospel of Jesus Christ aloft and say, no matter what happens in the world, this is the truth of Jesus Christ. And we say, this is our guiding light, our North Star, and we will die for the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the truth left to his people. Can you say amen, church? The Holy Spirit will guide you. Let me get practical. He will guide you. How? He'll guide you through prayer. That is why you need to pray. The Bible says pray without ceasing. You need to have an active prayer life. It doesn't need to be unbelievable where you light a candle and you have, you know, certain music and you've got uh, holo projections and then you're, you're um, that you don't need the perfection. You just need relationship. Prayer can be simple and effective. Boom. You pray it, God hears it, God makes his decision. Sometimes you're going to have to pray some things through and have some breakthrough, but keep praying. Keep praying. Elijah prayed seven times before he saw a cloud. I believe that God will always answer, but we might have to just keep praying. Keep praying. I, I, I say that to say because when you pray, the Holy Spirit will lead and he will guide. Think about it when you turn your iPhone off, you know, and, and it just, you just put it on the buzzer. You know, that little, you know that little nudge? That's how the Holy Spirit will speak to you. When you're in a conversation, the Holy Spirit will say, nope, don't agree with that. 
You might say something, the Holy Spirit says, Z-Z-Z. apologize. It might take you three or four hours to answer that text, right? Ah, three hours later, I, you know, I'm sorry if you felt that I said that I'm sorry how you feel. Holy Spirit goes, that's not an apology. Holy Spirit will let you know. He'll guide you. Maybe someone's saying something that sounds good, but the Holy Spirit will say, spirit's off. Spirit's off. And you say, but they're a good person. They're a great person. They want to help. Holy Spirit says, because even in goodness, we can be led astray. The Bible says you have to even be careful of false prophets that will come looking like sheep, but inwardly are wolves. And how are you going to know the heart? We don't, but the Holy Spirit does. Turn that off. Go in that direction. You got to be careful who you listen to right now. There's a lot of noise. My goodness, there's a lot of noise. There's a lot of noise coming from podcasts and music and and, and video and news. and, And there's just so much noise and so many opinions, some good, some bad. Who can tell? The Holy Spirit, though, will not change how he speaks with a still, small voice. And he'll say, I'll lead you. I'll guide you. I'll show you who to listen to, how much to listen to them. Sometimes the Holy Spirit will say, turn that thing off. Sometimes to me, I'll be watching something, the Holy Spirit will say, turn it off. It's like, but God, I need to be informed. I need to, I need to stay active. The Holy Spirit will say, nah. And I say, well, nothing they're saying is wrong. You know what? I know some of it isn't perfect, but come on, I'll eat, I'll eat the meat. I'll spit out the bones. But the Holy Spirit says, you don't even know what the bones are. Turn it off. Okay. All right. I say, oh, they're good people. They got pastor in front of their name. Sometimes the Holy Spirit says, not now. Not now. Why? Because I want to speak to you about your place and your time and your church and your season and your people and your leadership and you cannot get your direction from someone else. We need the Holy Spirit. He's the author. He's the pioneer. He's the perfecter. He's the mover. He's the reconciler. He's the forgiver. He is the nature that we need on our nature. And when we get the Spirit, we produce the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, and kindness, and goodness is what comes out of being led by the Holy Spirit. He'll lead you through prayer, and he'll lead you through the Word of God. Hear me, the Holy Spirit will never, ever speak something to you that disagrees with the Word of God, because he was active and present in writing the Word, so he will confirm it by the Word. So he's not going to give you some other revelation that's brand new that totally disagrees with the previous written Word of God. No, he'll confirm it by the word of God. And so God gives you a word, say, God, now show me this in the word. And he will answer that prayer. You know how else the Holy Spirit guides? And through a multitude of counselors, spirit-filled counselors, people who have walked this path for 20 and 30 years, who have bared good fruit and have walked the right path, not just people that, 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 uh, that sound good, but people who have produced goodness in their life and through their legacy. Get around spirit-led people that have walked the path and allow them to speak, not defensively and not debatingly, but allow them to speak. And in the multitude of spirit-led counselors, the counselor will bring counsel. Can you say amen, church? I know I'm preaching long, but... The Holy Spirit's preaching long right now, okay? So blame him. (laughs) I believe our church is maybe called to look a little bit different, act a little bit different, sing a little bit different, live a little bit different. We might be called to do something you haven't seen before. But don't forget, when Noah built the ark, no one had seen an ark before. We have to build based on what we hear, not based on what we've seen. We walk by faith, not by sight. Bible says, don't get drunk with wine, 
which leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Why? Because when you get the Holy Spirit on you, you begin to change on the inside. Now, wine always ends, ends up in the basement. always makes you less than you really are. But the Holy Spirit gives you not the counterfeit, but the real thing. It makes you love everybody. It makes you be generous. It makes you be forgiving. Why? Because you're filled with the Spirit. That's why you're so happy when you leave the field every Sunday. Because you are filled with the Spirit. Now, when you hit the red light, some other Spirit comes on you. I don't know which one. Not the Holy Spirit. No, because when you get the Holy Spirit on, you begin to, that's why you need to be filled every day. Every day. So what should we do? Romans 8 tells us, therefore, brothers and sisters, we do have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. If you go according to the flesh, there's only death. But if you live according to the Spirit, there is life and life more abundantly. And here's the final truth. The gospel is, we were sinners. Jesus is a Savior. He fills us with the Holy Spirit. And here's my final point, that the Holy Spirit will lead his church, his people, his community. The Spirit reveals the gospel and reforms his people. 1 John chapter 4 says this. If you have the keys, I'm going to bring it to a close here. 1 John Chapter 4, verse 1 says this, Beloved, do not believe every spirit. Don't buy into every voice. Now hear me. Let me, un- let me help you understand what he means by spirit here. Some sins have spirits that get attached to them. In fact, when you live in a lifestyle of sin, you have an open door for that spirit to come on you. And, and sometimes you can see it on people. That people have engaged and acted in lust for so much, a spirit of lust gets on them. In fact, unspiritual people can even sense this spirit. Sometimes you'll be walking and one of the girls will say, that guy's a creep. What are they saying? They're saying he has a spirit of lust on him or misogyny or anti-woman or, or whatever. You know, they're, 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 when you begin to engage, there's different spirits. There's spirits of evil. There's spirits of violence. There's spirits of racism. And they can get on people. And, and you have to be careful what spirit you allow to lead you. Because there are a lot of demonic spirits, fallen angels, oppressive forces, but there is one Holy Spirit. And that needs to be our voice and our director. And that's the spirit I want filling me. I want that filtering light for me. I want to see things with the spirit. Not some weird spirit, some off thing. I want to see things with the eyes of Jesus Christ, which is what the Holy Spirit will allow us. And so, so John is telling us, speaking to the church, he's saying, beloved, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits. Test them. And how will you test the spirit? Test it by looking at their fruit, looking at their light, bringing wise counsel, but test it by your own Holy Spirit. Come on, did my spirit say amen to that? Or did my spirit say uh-uh to that? I don't have to argue, but I also don't have to engage i got to test the spirit to see whether those spirits are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. And by this, you know the spirit of God. Here's how you do it. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess that uh, Jesus is not from God. So he's saying, test the spirit. Whoever says Jesus is Lord, that's got the Holy Spirit on him. 
But if they say Jesus is not Lord, then they do not have the Holy Spirit on them. Now, this is where we want to say, but they're good people, but they have a lot of data, but they know lots of stuff, but there's experts, experts, experts. And God's saying, they may be, but if they do not have the Holy Spirit on them, then you have to test in your own spirit, and you have to make sure that those voices don't get on you. Listen, it says every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. And one day there will be a, 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 an embodiment of this spirit in a person, and he will be called the Antichrist. But make no mistake, the spirit of the Antichrist has been alive and well for thousands of years in the earth. So many people have come against the church and the people of God. The spirit of the Antichrist has come on organizations. It's come on leaders. It's come on whole nations. And it tries to rise its head, and it always tries to raise its head against the people of God. Because, again, the people of God reflect Jesus Christ. So the Spirit wants to take you out and therefore take Christ out. I know I'm going a little bit deep, but I'm going to end it right here. So it says, so little children, that's how God sees us. You are from God, and you have overcome that spirit of the Antichrist. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. He who is in you is greater, greater than any force of darkness, any spiritual assault, any demon that's trying to reign, you have got more power on the inside of you than he who reigns over the whole world on the outside. So Romans 8 tells us, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Come on, he's talking about you. Because through Jesus Christ, the law of the Spirit who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. This week, you need to recite that verse over yourself. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And you need to tell yourself, and I am in Christ Jesus. So how will God accomplish all that he has wanted, all that he has promised to do in us? How will he accomplish these things? He tells us in the book of Zechariah, he says, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Thanks for listening to the Awakening Podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. If you want to learn more about our church, visit us online at awakening.global. We'll see you soon.